As we all know, local businesses all across the country have been hit hard by the pandemic, which makes it more important now than ever to shop and spend our money locally. I am happy to say that this episode of Dear Adam Silver is brought to you by Bookman's, my favorite local used bookstore, one-stop knick-knack shop, and Arizona institution. I was just in Bookman's the other day and got a copy of The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafan. I read this book originally about 10 years ago and have recently been thinking about it again and called Bookman's, and they had a copy. Bookman sells used books, records, movies, musical instruments, and more, and is a wonderful community-oriented store. In addition to shopping, you can also trade your own used items in at Bookman's for cash or store credit. I actually got to trade a couple of my books and got store credit to put towards The Shadow of the Wind, so it's an amazing system. And side note, this is a book that I highly recommend for all of you mystery, thrill-seeking, Barcelona-infatuated listeners out there. During this time of social distancing, Bookman's has curbside pickup for books ordered ahead of time and for selling in trades. Please visit www.bookmans.com for more information. And remember, Bookman's has cool covered. Just because I dunk the basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kid. Welcome back to Dear Adam Silver, a show dedicated to creating alternative perspectives on sports and art. My guests today are Courtney Lamar Charleston, Zan Aslam, and Caroline Cabrera. These three poets were included in Ballers 2K20, a team of basketball poems edited by recent podcast guest P. Scott Cunningham. I am so excited for all of you listening to hear these poems written with such care about how the game, the culture surrounding it, and individual players make these poets feel and how they choose to respond to them. And I feel so lucky to have the chance to share this work read and delivered with so much heart and rhythm. Thank you to Courtney, Zan, and Caroline for being willing to come on and share. And you can get your own copy of Ballers 2K20 at the shop at www omiami.org. I also just want to take a minute to shout out anybody who is volunteering or phone banking for a campaign right now or doing anything for a campaign because these, this is like the, the time of the year where uh, it matters the most um, that calls are being made and voters are being reached and it's just not particularly glamorous work. There's a lot of, um, you know, getting hung up on, getting told uh, no, all these things. Um, there are undecided voters left out there, so it's um, there is some convincing and persuasion going on, and it's just not particularly fun necessarily, but it's also, you know, what is powering some campaigns right now as far as reading voters, especially because we are unable to go door-to-door right now. So I just want to... To shout that out, uh, if anyone out there is doing any of that work, I know it's not it's not uh, super enjoyable, but it's so necessary. And I also hope, of course, that everyone who's listening is has a plan to vote in the upcoming election. So for many of you that may be in person and doing it safely in person, for some of you that might be my, by mail. I know here in Arizona we've received our ballots. 
and we've sent them back in and uh, there's several ways to do that you can put it in the mail you can drop it off at your polling location you can um, actually if you decide you want to vote in person you can uh, fill out a provisional ballot at, on the day of at your polling location um, rather than sending in your mail-in ballot so there's lots of options and I know that changes state to state unfortunately we don't have um, a federal a system for voting which of course could make things easier also everyone deserves the day off to vote so yeah those are just some thoughts um, and I hope all of you are making that plan to do that and um, I think if you can still register to vote in your state which I believe let's see tomorrow might be the last day as as I know for Louisiana uh, but that's really all I've got. Um, so if you can still register to vote in your state or if you want to check your voter reg registration status or encourage someone else to get registered, you can go to www.iwillvote.com. Um, and as many of you know, I'm phone banging here in Tucson for our Senate candidate, Mark Kelly. Uh, and it's getting just really serious. The countdown is on till Election Day. Really... Um, hoping all this work pays off that everyone is doing. So thank you so much for listening, and I hope you all enjoy this episode and take care of yourselves, and don't forget to make a plan to vote. Okay, so I am here with three poets who are included in Ballers 2K20, an anthology of team, a team of poems about basketball edited by P. Scott Cunningham, who was on the podcast just earlier this week. And I'm so happy to have some poems being read live on the podcast. This is a this is a first. Um, I've had a play, but not not poems. Well, poems outside my own. And so I'm so happy to have you all um, with me. And I would love for us to just go around and um, you to introduce yourselves and tell a little bit about yourselves. And then we'll get into the reading. So Courtney, would you like to start? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Abigail. Um, Hi, everybody. My name is uh, Courtney Lamar Charleston. I'm a poet based in Jersey City, New Jersey, uh, but originally from the Chicago area. And uh, what that means is that I am a diehard Chicago Bulls fan. Grew up, uh, you know, my childhood was spent during the dynasty years. And so uh, there's a lot that comes with that. Basketball was probably my first love. There was no way to not fall in love with basketball in Chicago at that time uh, with that team. And it's been a lifelong relationship. You know, that, that fanaticism just turned into a general basketball fanaticism every level. I'm always down to watch a game in the team. Uh, so essentially, um, you know, thinking about how I kind of got roped into all this, it was just really just fortunate uh, circumstance, um, you know, friends to friends type of thing. Um, I remember we were, there were a couple of folks that I, that I know, uh, also poets, also big sports fans, huge basketball fans in particular. And they were just putting together a group of folks who all had mutual interest. And we like poems, we like sports. It doesn't feel like there's like a lot of space for those two to intersect, like in a lot of the public discourse around like the arts and everything, right? Like, you know, you say 
anything about sports to some poets and they don't, you know, they act like you don't, they don't know what the hell you're talking about. Um, and so it's like, am I the weird one? So it's like, so we had our own little kind of safe haven. And, you know, my, my friends uh, kind of brought me into the space, but that's where I encountered folks uh, like Scott. You know what I mean? Like that's that's kind of where our correspondence and our relationship began. And it began from such a, uh, an organic and genuine and joyous uh, place because it was literally starting in a safe zone where we could really bring those kind of um, those um, di different parts of ourselves to uh, to the room with no judgment, with no you know presupposition, with, with with you know none of that stuff, and it's just kind of evolved from there. And it's like now we're at the point like Scott sends me stuff in the mail. I've got like these nice pair of Jimmy Butler <laughs> socks, you know, go, go go Jimmy buckets. Of course, all day every day, Chicago Bulls legend. We miss him. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's like stuff like that. It's really turned into like this, this group full of camaraderie and compassion and, and also just incredible hot takes and, um, you know, sometimes having to question whether everybody truly knows the game, you know what I'm saying? Um, just with what they're, you know, what they're going off about at the mouth, but, um, that's neither here nor there. I will not name names. I don't want anybody getting mail after this. Um, so, so yeah, so that's kind of uh, how I got into the fold. But now I'm also thinking about basketball kind of briefly in relation to poetry and to art making, right? And one of the things that I always loved about the sport was what I thought was the poetry of the game, right? So seeing the way that basketball players move on the court, seeing when, good, when teams are, are really locked in and, and playing as a unit, seeing how the ball moves, um, seeing the formations, like literally like the geometry, like <laughs> of bodies and everything else kind of maneuver and reconfigure, um, you know, understanding the emotional, you know, arcs within the game and like appreciating those, like it just, it really collides. And like, I think um, in particular, like watching certain players, there are certain players that just play with such smoothness and such grace. It just reminds you of poetry in motion, right? Like those are your, your guys, like maybe, Maybe it's Jordan, maybe it's a uh, Kevin Durant, maybe, uh, you know, guys like that, Iceman uh, for the older folks, right, who just smooth and graceful. And, um, and I think very much like I want my poems to dance like that on the page. And that's kind of how it all comes back together for me. Such a wonderful way to tie them together and to also visualize poetry. Um, something that we normally hear, but realizing that like the page is is an activated space where there's movement and there's uh, tension and, and all those things that exist in basketball that make it so exciting for us that exists in uh, writing as well. Awesome. Okay, Caroline. I'm Caroline Cabrera. Um, and I, can I jump in on that before I introduce myself? Because I have so much to say. Of course, that's perfect. So I, I totally feel everything you're saying, Courtney. And something that I love, and I, you know, people compare, or pe people compare, you know, particular players or even the sport as a whole to ballet a lot and like the movement and, and kind of, and something that I love. So I grew up loving basketball, loving like ballet and modern dance, and also loving poetry from like a really young age. And something I see in all three of them is like, you have those moments like in, in, in dance, it's like where there are all these dancers on stage and there are these moments where they're all synchronized 
And then there are these moments where like they break off and they're doing their own things. And then there's like these moments of synchronicity and like each one of those transitions is so exciting. <laughs> and in basketball, you have that too, where there's like, there's like this rhythm that's happening. And then those like moments of surprise. Um, and I think those, those kind of like oscillations and movement are what I really appreciate in poetry. Like whether it be like the movement of the line or like kind of the movement of like the um, emotion or, or whatever. So yeah, I just, I had, I wanted to say so much while Courtney was talking. So. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, but I grew up, um, so I'm, I'm live in South Florida, lived in South Florida much of my life. Um, and grew up a Heat fan. I also like, I really fell in love with basketball, going to middle school basketball games and high school basketball games, like watching in the gym. Um, and actually that's kind of like when we first started watching games in the bubble, it felt like being in a high school gym a little bit. I was like, oh, this is really fun. <laughs> um, and I first got connected with Scott and Oh Miami. I moved back to South Florida after grad school and I went to I think I read at like a small press event for the Omani festival one year and met, um, met Scott. And I can't remember if it was this reading or a different reading at this great bar Lester's that's since closed, sadly, um, where I actually read this, the poem that I'm going to read tonight, I actually read. And afterward, Scott and his wife, Christina, who's also an amazing writer, came up and were like, wait, you like basketball? we like basketball <laughs> and it was kind of a, um, you know, friendship made in heaven, but, um, I've been involved with Oh Miami in various capacities since then. And I actually work full time for them now as their education coordinator. So. Oh, yeah. awesome. That's wonderful. I love the, the basketball connection of sort of being like, Hey, we're, we feel similarly about this. Like, let's talk more, you know, you're, you're my yeah, people like, in some ways. So exciting. Just like Courtney was saying, like, you don't always run into poets or artists who, who feel that way. So it's like a little gem moment. Totally. That's great. Okay. Zan. Hey, um, I'm Zan. I, uh, basketball has a very like special place in my heart. So I was born in Pakistan, uh, where I used to like, uh, play and watch cricket. That was really the only sport I used to play, uh, uh and like pay attention to. But when we moved to America, uh, there was a basketball court in our apartment complex. And I, um, I started playing because it was just like, uh, we didn't have any friends and it was like the one thing to do and that was like kind of how I first made friends and all that good stuff so basketball is all in like my American life it's always kind of been this like social um it's always had this kind of social role for me um and I think like growing up as someone who really enjoyed reading poetry and likes art and stuff of the sort uh basketball and art never really met like uh like in school or at work or what have you, because I could talk to anybody about basketball, but it was just hard. You nobody nobody's interested in poetry, <laughs> uh, and so like uh, when I when I met Scott uh, in Miami, I met him through uh, just while I started volunteering for Oh Miami, uh, like being their runner, working in the desk and helping with setups and breakdowns and stuff. 
Um, and that's where how Scott and I kind of bonded was through poetry, uh, was through basketball, really. I mean, he kind of understood, we understood that we both like poetry, but we mostly talked about basketball and still do mostly talk about basketball. And likewise, uh, as I've kind of, uh, that's how I kind of came up in the zine and started being poets, a lot of my relationship, I mean, I didn't, uh, I don't, I have a very like non-traditional background into like poetry and stuff of the sort. So a lot of my friends in, in literature, uh, which is like something, uh, these friendships that I really cherish are really centered around basketball. So basketball has always been like this, this key thing for me. Um, I started playing basketball, we, we moved to Los Angeles. So basketball grew, uh, blew up uh, when, uh, when my family moved here because I moved here in 97. Uh, the Laker, like Kobe wasn't the biggest name yet. Shaq was a celebrity. We still had like my favorite players were like Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones when I first started watching. I remember the first like true basketball game I saw was uh, Nick's Heat when Jeff Van Gundy got beat up. And, um, and uh, then like, of course, like the Lakers uh, blew up, like, you know, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers really became a thing. And it was really nice. Like it was uh, coming from like Pakistan. It's such an like insane place that it was really like the basketball really offered this like kind of harmony. Everybody was rooting for the Lakers. Everybody had Lakers flags. It was like, I don't know. It was, I could talk to anybody about the Lakers. I'm someone who's like equally like really shy and also like just enjoys talking. I don't understand this combination, but like I could talk to anybody about basketball. And it was just so much fun. And like, I don't know, just being able to like analyze the game with people and all that good stuff. It, it really like, it's really how I learned how to be social and how to speak English and all that stuff. So it's really tied to like uh, poetry in a very practical level for me when it comes to the use of language and all that good stuff. And then of course, like growing up uh, in the, like coming to America in the nineties, Michael Jordan, he just retired, you know, but obviously like this idea of like, as an immigrant, like Michael Jordan, like every, I feel like every immigrant, like loves Michael Jordan <laughs> because like he's like the self-made person and he's this big star and he's international and like especially when you come to America in the 90s he was like Elvis or whatever Elvis would have been I didn't know who Elvis was but I knew who Michael Jordan was he was like the biggest thing and like watching his like highlights on TV like there'd be documentaries about him him jumping from the free throw line people would describe him as poetry in motion Les Courtney said and uh uh and uh, this term poetry motion, it like kind of suited really well. I always just remember him playing, like him turning, like, uh, and as Caroline said, it's, it's really balletic, you know? So uh, just being really fascinated by this game and like then like kind of like having poetry enter my consciousness. And I have a relationship with poetry from back when I was in Pakistan. Uh, and like it was, Michael Jordan was like the first place where these two things met. I was like, oh, poetry and basketball? This is like, poetry can exist in real life, you know? And so it's, um, yeah, so uh, my relationship with basketball and poetry is definitely like very much connected, both when it comes to a practical sense and even like kind of an aesthetic sense, because I watched Michael Jordan and I, that's where I learned like poetry in America. And for one reason or another, I've always like kind of associated poetry with this, like, I don't know, uh, this sense of like, uh, not necessarily like virtuosity or something of the sort, but like movement and I don't know. Um, uh, movement, grace, and I don't know, like some of this, like uh, a sense of like, maybe I'm not using this word correctly, but like uh, levity or like floating, floatiness or something of the sort. So um, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my, my relationship to poetry and basketball. And yeah, it's, it's likewise, as, as both Caroline and Courtney have mentioned, 
uh, in the poetry world, you won't find a lot of people who watch basketball. But like, I grew like growing up pretty working class, work mostly like working in like warehouses and restaurants and stuff of the sort. I could talk to anybody about basketball, but it's so hard to talk to people about poetry. So, <laughs> so like you know, it's it's funny because like these are two worlds. This is this intersection doesn't really exist in many places, but the places where I found that it exists, it's it's been very I don't know joyous and fruitful for me. Um, and like the few who understand, oh my god, I'm sorry, the few who understand um, like the relationship between poetry and basketball, it's like almost. Oh. <laughs> Um, he like whoever that is loves Michael Jordan as well. <laughs> Just trying to speak up. Yikes. So, um, no, 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 please. Uh, um, so yeah, so like that intersection is is somewhere where I do find quite a lot of joy, and like I don't know, I seem like especially like when so much of the world seems like chaotic and insane, it is like a place in a group of pe uh, people that I can go to to kind of just be myself and. I think in a way basketball as a sport and as a game uh, from when I played, it offered me the space in the court just to kind of be myself and play kind of my own way and stuff of the sort. And likewise, socially, like being able to talk about basketball and being able to like have like a community that appreciates both basketball and poetry and basketball and art. It's a place where I find a very similar sort of like comfort as when I'm playing basketball. That's so great. And I so appreciate all of the, you know, all of the things that all of you shared. And of course, this Jeff Van Gundy um, shout out as the Nixon Heat game. Uh, I don't think I've mentioned him enough on this podcast. So I appreciate you bringing uh, that that moment up. Um, and yeah, thank you all so much for introducing yourself so wholeheartedly. And I appreciate it. So let's uh get into the poems i also have to say when i was reading this book i like wanted to hang out with everybody i mean i just when you talk um zan when you're talking about this uh sort of finding comfort and uh, uh a level i'm not sure um yeah i mean basically just comfort and uh excitement around these two worlds kind of colliding and crossing over uh, I definitely feel that as well, and I got that from this collection of poems and just really wanted to, you know, get together with everybody. <laughs> but then I realized when I was reading it that probably no one was hanging out right now, you know, so just <laughs> I couldn't be jealous of everyone being together because or knowing each other, you know, they're probably already really far away. So uh, at least the the pandemic made me less uh, jealous. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Courtney, would you like to read your poem to start? Absolutely. Um, I will be more than happy to, uh, to share. This one is called Jump Man, a guzzle with pivots. In a city where bird is basketed on a bed of white bread and french fries, blindness is predicated on what emblem is rocked on feet. See Jump Man. Gospel's basis begins by testimony, always. In this case, he, jump man. God disguised as Michael Jordan quipped the man nicknamed legend. It's gotta be the shoes, right? Gravity defires, deifies for real. The way he hangs crooked in the air is a hangman's neck. He got jumps, man. The latest pair released, bad move. These kids just might be jump, man. Tongue sticking out, 
how boys brashly walk windy streets when they got them things, three digits easy. He makes shoes for Republicans too. Puffs cigars, clipping balls off tees. Logo of a personality. He been jump man. Posts up, double team, kicks out, reposts, three dribbles in, fakes right, pivots baseline, fades away. Defender, high enough? He can't jump, man. Hoop, earring, pedal cologne, open restaurants, eat free, like jump man. All I want to do is ball. Be at least six feet, six inches tall. Wear that gold, die. I'm a kid, you see. I got dreams of mansion wings. Let me jump, man. Don't start talking to me about sweatshops, wife cheating, rolling loaded, another pair snatched off a body. Should have ducked, but he jumped, man. If I could be like Mike, choir boys sing, but come June, his phone just rings. He came back a second time, but with no growth spurt in sight, I'm minded to bookish things, ballistics, statistics, saving lives, a better me jumped, man. Seeing some snaps coming in. Thank you, Courtney. Can you talk a little bit just about when you wrote that poem and what maybe, uh, I mean, this, this repetition, this music to it uh, of, uh, and this playing off of the, uh, the jump man as the nickname, as the brand, and all of that, just how that came to be in your head. Yeah, um, I wrote it, at this point, I can't remember precisely when, but it was a few years ago now. I wanna say probably late 2016, early 2017. And, um, you know, I was writing a series of poems that were more autobiographical in nature. And, um, you know, like I was saying before and kind of introducing myself to the audience, like when I think about my childhood narrative, basketball is like a big part of it. It was a big passion point. It was something I was playing, uh, something all the kids in the neighborhood played and everything else, right? And something that the whole city, uh, very reminiscent of what Zan was saying about LA is, you know, everybody was united around it, right? But with it comes, uh, you know, with the success, the championships, um, and the incredible accomplishment of Michael Jordan on the court, as with any pig, uh, public figure of that type of stature, particularly in the world of sports, there's a lot of mythologizing, right? And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of image building, brand building, and it's harder to see the person in the context of what's happening around uh, around the figure. That means both Jordan uh, in a personal sense, right? Um, who I knew, right, was not like the clean, like the nicest guy, like, you know what I mean? Like, um, interestingly enough, um, I uh, used to attend a church before, um, a church with his uh, first wife's mother, right? So, um, and before she, before she, uh, she passed away and, you know, Jordan would, you know, would come, you know, once in a blue moon with her. Um, but I also know how that marriage deteriorated, you know what I mean? And kind of like some of the tabloid stories and which ones turned out to be true and like, you know, that kind of stuff. And, 
And so that was already a reckoning. But then I also had to think about what, what you know, what's going on in the city around me and the country around me, like what's happening uh, with kids my age, like, you know, these really expensive shoes, like, which are really sought after and valued and like, but those are being the basis of people getting hurt, you know, jumped and, uh, and robbed or even killed, right? And, um, and so there's a lot of violence that was also associated in my imagination with Jordan that had nothing to do with him as an individual per se, but definitely it extends from him as a figure and, and, and is underpinned by like just us being a hyper-capitalist society and like, what does that do? And, and, you know, I was trying to find my way because at some point I realized like, hey, I'm never going to go pro. I'm not good enough, I'm not tall enough. So like being like Jordan, like, you know, I want to be like Mike, like, what does that mean to, to me, right? Like really nothing at that point. It's like, I want to think about how do I make a difference and how do I think about the world differently and try to deconstruct what's happening. And that's kind of where the poem came from. But the form it took with the, with the, um, the guzzle form, with the repetition, right, is very much like, you know, me thinking of how he played, like going to his bread and butter, hitting the fadeaway, you know, going to the post, you know, killing it in the mid range, you know what I mean? Like, and, and like thinking about his footwork and thinking about his footwork is what made me want to invert and disrupt the guzzle form, uh, the guzzle form and play with it uh, in, in a slightly different way and like kind of move, you know, the, uh, the second line of the couplet first in some places. And, and it creates a bit of a, a maybe, you know, when reading aloud, it actually kind of disorients me, but that's exactly what I wanted, right? And I think on the page, that's what you get as well when you're actually reading the text on the page. It really does pivot and jump in this really, in these really surprising ways that were, that made me really happy with the outcome of writing it. So that's kind of the origin story. Yeah, and, and this, um, this pivoting is also, I mean, I, we're, I'm hearing it, we're hearing it as well, I think, just like in the, where you emphasize things, the slowing down, the, the moving uh, forward more quickly in other parts, like there's such a, um, yeah, there's just a lot of similarities between the, the footwork or the movement in a, in a basketball game or by Michael Jordan. Can I, can I comment on Courtney's poem? I yes, to... <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I really love, um, I really love, uh, the, the guzzle is such a good form and it's really gotten my mind like thinking as you're talking about how the footwork was kind of an inspiration in you and like kind of reforming the guzzle here and uh, kind of like uh, matching the energy of the poem and your feelings around it and like the way you like pun, I mean, Courtney, a lot, anybody who knows me, I love like punning, <laughs> but like uh, the way you like pun on Jumpman so many times, it kind of feels every time you end it with Jumpman, it kind of feels like a bucket, you know, like like in basketball, you'll it's like a swish, and then you like come back around and you play defense, and then you come back to jump man, and it's a swish. It's so one. It's such a good basketball poem. I I really I do really love it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I mean, you described it better than me, so maybe I just need to let you do it from now on. <laughs> Seriously, Zan. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a perfect way to say it because really it is just like a break each time it's you know we're ending and then we're we're uh restarting can yeah and like the way it's it just it's good because the subject matter is michael jordan and it's as obviously we spoke about it just a second ago but like the way um uh the, i don't know the different ways how crappy is with like scoring the basketball and like how uh, you know and it's about courtney like taking his approach like 
stepping away from like being Michael Jordan, the athlete and like perhaps like learning from it, like learning from him and taking his like strengths in different ways and bringing that into poetry. It's, I don't know, it's really, it's really, I could, I could read that poem forever. Yeah, I, I, you know, I of course have read this poem and heard you read it, Courtney, but then as soon as you started, I was like, oh, Courtney is about to exactly demonstrate what I was just trying to say <laughs> about like the play with rhythm and disruption of that rhythm and surprise. That poem does it just so perfectly. Courtney, Thank would you, you mind um, describing what a guzzle is? Um, yes, although um, I'm actually um, blanking somewhat on the origin and if someone else knows they can correct me, but it's, um, it is a poetic form originating in the in the in the Middle East. I wanted to say it was Persian, but uh, if I'm misstating that, someone please you know please go Google and find a, a a corroborated source, right? To 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 and you can send me a note when you found it and let me know that I'm wrong. Um, but essentially, right, the it's going to be uh, a series of couplets, right, where you're going to have this um, refrain at the end of the second line that repeats throughout the poem. Um, and by traditional form, also another one of the key elements is that um, the author's uh, name or the poet's name, right, is going to appear in the last couplet, in the last line, um, as kind of like a, a, a capstone on, on kind of this experience that that moves, right. And the beauty of the of the of the guzzle is not only in the repetition um, of the radif, but also. Um, but also in the fact that the couplets themselves right. Uh, can be completely disassociated from one another, right? So it's almost like each one, each unit is self-contained. It doesn't need technically to bear any relation to what came before it. So what that does is it creates for the reader this, these really interesting like leaps, right? From, uh, from couplet to couplet, right? And um, thinking about ways that you can like play up association, but also disrupt it. And I think that's why it's such an intriguing form. It's, um, uh, and something about it also, like when I when I read a good guzzle, so many of them are also so melodic and and soothing, uh, and I think repetition is a big part of soothing, right? And I think that's why I kind of love forms that play with repetition, like you know, like the the, the guzzle, like pantoums, like, you know, uh, and so on, right? So um, it's a, a form with 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 a heavy tradition. Um, I know I've written a few of them, uh, and I often kind of bend the rules a little bit, and I do that purposefully. Um, but in saying that, I definitely wanted to make sure people kind of understood where it comes from and, uh, and kind of what the true tradition is. Uh, so folks just aren't, you know, messing around with it willy-nilly, I think, you know, it, it commands respect. And if you're doing something, do be intentional about it. Well, your your interpretation or your version of this is, feels intentional beyond uh as far as honoring that form and uh and michael jordan and whatever michael jordan means or doesn't mean so thank you so much for sharing courtney thank you for having me i really appreciate it yeah caroline would you like to go uh this poem is called Miami Heat Dreams 2012, though it should be called Miami Heat Dreams 2013. <laughs> when, when I said it to okay, that's an important <laughs> distinction, I think. Because um, I realized Chris Anderson wasn't with the Heat in 2012, but when it did, it used to just be called Miami Heat Dreams. And when I sent it off to Scott, I felt like I needed to put a date on it and I did it too hastily. And then it came out in the book and I was like, ooh, that's not right. <laughs> um, Miami Heat Dreams 2013. 
let's say. One, I chill with the guys in the locker room. As the rest of the team files out, Chris Anderson corners me, kisses me forcibly. He says, you want me, but you can't have me. I say, I don't want you. I leave. He follows me onto the street and into many different supermarkets. This is not as creepy as it should be, as it would be in waking life. I can see his mohawk over the aisles. I want to shake him, but I also want to drink flavored seltzer. In waking life, I really like Chris Anderson. In the dream, he is a very good kisser. Two, Shane Battier and my sister Anne have decided to marry. They are perfect together. I can't believe I hadn't seen it before. Three, I eat lunch with LeBron in a cafeteria. He asks me who my favorite Heat player is. I tell him it's hard to choose, but right now I'm really digging Norris Cole. He's impressed that I chose someone other than a member of the big three. He instantly knows that one, I am a real fan, and two, I understand the importance of a deep bench. My cat appears on my lap and LeBron notes that he is the most beautiful cat in the world. He pets him with a giant hand and says, I hope you live forever. We hop on a bus and LeBron tells me I am his favorite heat player. Four, Anne helps Shane apply for art school. Shane feels shy about his application portfolio. Anne arranges for a meeting with an admissions counselor. Five. Anne has taken my nephew to LeBron's house and I am taking a faceless girl child there. LeBron is going to watch the children. When I arrive, LeBron meets me at the door and we chat a little. I ask him where my sister is. He tells me she is in the superfood room. He asks if I have ever seen the superfood room and when I say no, he offers me a tour of the house. We walk upstairs into a very dark hallway. I trip over something in the dark and LeBron grabs my hand to catch me. He keeps holding my hand and walking very quickly and soon he is running and I can't quite keep up. And I think that maybe if I lift my feet and I do lift my feet off the ground and trail behind him in the air like a flag or a kite. Eventually we find ourselves in a food court and my sister is there near the cold stone creamery. LeBron tells us to order anything we want. The ice cream scooper is a John Hodgman lookalike, and he the ice cream scooper is a John Hodgman lookalike, and he keeps giving me a hard time about my order. I ask him why none of the flavors or mixins are listed on the menu board when nothing seems to be available. He tells me they're making a lot of corporate changes. Thank you, Caroline. Yes, snaps. Um, can you also talk a little bit about the? Uh, I also I'm I'm first thinking that the cat that LeBron pets is that the same cat that we've seen coming yes, into the screen? Periodically does appear in my lap or right now. Yes, that's wonderful for everyone listening. We have not just it's not just been the four of us. <laughs> There has been a cat with us almost the whole time. Um, so can you talk a little bit about sort of the, 
the genesis of this poem, how it came yeah, to be? Yeah, so these are actual dreams I had <laughs> that I just wrote down. Um, and I think, I mean, basketball was particularly important to me in 2012 and 2013 because I moved back to South Florida. And so I had been living in Massachusetts for four years. Um, I love Massachusetts, but it's also like a really strong fandom of all sports. Like there's nothing like a Massachusetts sports fan. Um, so it can be a pretty obnoxious place to be a fan of anyone else. Um, so moving back, I moved back in the beginning of May of 2012 and like got back just in time to watch the finals that year. And then, and like, and watch the finals with my sister, who's a, um, a heat fan as well. And so it, it just felt like a like particularly like celebratory time um, in my basketball life. <laughs> um, and I did, I just, I had a lot of dreams uh, about, about basketball that I wrote down and um, I stopped having them, unfortunately, <laughs> or else this poem really would just go on forever. I would not stop. <laughs> if I still had dreams, they would be more Miami Heat Dreams poems. <laughs> Sure. It's so cool. I, I mean, so I think re reading it or hearing it, I, I felt that maybe it was coming from an, a place of actually experience, like dreaming these things. Um, but it's just uh, this idea of like recording those and, and sort of placing them together. And the humor as far as how I think how we sometimes see athletes uh, is I you know, they're like warriors to some extent, or I think right now we're seeing there's this like extra responsibility on athletes um, to be, to say the right thing about everything all the time and like, you know, kind of fit these these molds and expectations that, that we want. And just this idea of, of living in a dream world with them where uh, sort of this idea of LeBron kind of lifting you up and flying with him to a court. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are actually, this poem always makes me a little like, it, there's like a, it, there, the subject matter is kind of silly and light, but it's also weirdly vulnerable to be like, no, really, I'm still dreaming about Cold Stone Creamery, even though I, I worked there at 18 and it was traumatic. Um, so, you know, we're like, oh, no, really, I do, um, I do, I did really dream that LeBron thinks my cat should live forever, you know, like, these are the things that are clearly deep in, sure. in my psyche. Um, but yeah, there's something, something about that dream world. <laughs> right. Well, it's great. And um, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And, and Xander, Courtney, if you wanted to chime in too. Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, considering that the, the poem originated, right, uh, because of these dreams you were having, uh, Caroline, it, it does such an effective job of like, of capturing that that kind of surrealism and that and, and and kind of being in that more ethereal state you know what i mean like with lebron as this really intriguing but empathetic but also somewhat funny like um guide throughout this like dreamscape that keeps shifting and evolving like it feels like watching like like i don't know maybe some like Alice in Wonderland but like with LeBron like you know what I mean it's just like it's just so it's just so entertaining but it's so um heartfelt and and genuine and it's got such a strong and unique character to it and and I particularly love that because it's a basketball related poem right like even 
you know, it, it's not it, it's not necessarily what I would think a poet would do who is um, taking uh, kind of a, a, a lens to, to sports and competition, right? You know what I mean? Like, and, and really personalizing it and, and, and making it something so much more than that. And I don't know, I, so I love listening to you read it and like, and having now had a chance to hear it again, I'm just like, I'm just falling deeper into the whimsy of it and loving it that much more. Yeah, yeah, that poem resonates with me uh, for a really funny reason. Uh, when I lived in, when I was living in Miami, um, I, uh, <laughs> um, I had like a bit of a like instable, instable like housing situation, but I was able, I was staying with my friends uh, who for like a month or so uh, when I was in between housing and their apartment was across the street from the American Airlines arena. And one night when I was, uh, after some, you know, unseemly activities, <laughs> I was coming back up the elevator and Chris Anderson walked in, like I was elevator, I heard someone coming in. So I like just instinctively like opened the door and Chris Anderson walked in and I, he was like this tall. And obviously like, there's no like mistaking Chris Anderson, right? Like he's, he's very like, you know, he looks bird, bird man, he's a bird man. And I, he was, it also seems like he just also had like a very <laughs> And so I'm just staring at him like this. And I'm just like, are you Birdman? And he's like, yeah. And he fits about me. So it reminds me of that, that moment, which is like a very surreal moment in like a my, <laughs> in my life, which was like, and it resonates because I often think about like this, this space, a lot of these athletes take place, especially as someone who's like pretty, like who watches basketball a lot and loves like, but has so much of my life, I feel like is like dedicated to basketball in one way or another, like how these players take on an existence in my consciousness outside of the sport, you know? And as someone who dreams, who's jumped about basketball players quite a bit, like the poem hits, like it definitely resonates, especially like, you know, I had, for example, at one point, a dream where, Michael Jordan was my father and he was trying to read, read me poems by Virgil. And he kept on saying, I am not Michael Jordan anymore. I am Virgilus Pubilus Morrow. And I was just like, what is this dream? <laughs> so like, I've had dreams like this and it's so, it's, uh, it's really bad. It's just good to hear that I'm not the only one who goes to this Caroline. Dan, I'm so jealous of your Chris Anderson sighting. And also like, I can't believe this is the first time I'm hearing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad this is being recorded. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, a, it's actually like one of the few like famous people, like just like random encounters with famous people. And it was like, it's, uh, you know, in like old stories, he, he was kind of like an angel, like it just completely refreshed like my life at that point. I was just like, wow, I can't believe I just saw Chris hit. I just want to like, yeah. you know, it's this with tattoos on him. I <laughs> Totally. And Caroline, I also want just like that vulnerability that you were talking about, like, uh, you know, what you were sharing and how you were sharing it. I think that, you know, sometimes on the podcast, I get nervous about like over critiquing a player too much because I'm like, what if what if I meet them someday and maybe they'll want to come on the podcast and then they listen to like episode 45 and I'm like, God, Paul George is being such a baby or whatever it is, you know, or or just that I like I want there's still a part of me that very much connects to like the eight-year-old fan or the nine-year-old fan whatever it is that's like 
these guys are cool. Like, I want to hang out with them, you know? And, uh, you know, I think that also speaks to Courtney's poem about like the legend of Michael Jordan, like what he, what he, how he was kind of branded and projected to the country and beyond, of course, as, as Dan mentioned and what, what he means, the idea of him versus, versus just him. And so, yeah, I just, uh, I have that too, where I'm like, yeah, I still just think that they're awesome. <laughs> totally. Okay. Um, Zan, are you ready to go? Thank you, Caroline. Thank you guys. Oh man. Wow. What a treat. You guys' phones are awesome. So mine uh, is called Fast Break. Um, I wrote this poem specifically for the zine because I was I have like a weird I wasn't writing poems at the time and when Scott sent it I was like oh yeah I gotta I want to write a basketball poem because it's something that I'd really never done so it was really fun so it was cool to like um to explore like my relationship with basketball and stuff that it takes some time and like think about it and all that stuff so my relation one of the relationships with basketballs that I have uh just uh moving moving to Los Angeles from Pakistan and also like being an immigrant my family was very like uh my parents were very um into like us keeping up our like Islamic culture which like I wasn't particularly enthusiastic about <laughs> as a kid but basketball uh like, again like one of the things where it allows you to be uh, as I mentioned earlier kind of allows gives you the space to be yourself um there were uh basketball was a place where I could find like oh there would be like actually like openly Muslim players and they would, you know, be out there playing. And it was a bit, it was different seeing, uh, seeing that because, um, you know, uh, you have to like, as uh, like in the, in the faith, you have to like think of like these guys as brothers. So like having to like pay extra attention to these like Muslim players and make sure that they're like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird relationship you have with a player. It's like beyond just like, I'm a fan of his and I like the fact that he scores points. You're just like, oh my gosh, there's like, I'm, there's like a part of me that's invested in this game now or like in this player and it's the, what they're doing. Um, and it's a, it's a weird relationship because, you know, you obviously don't want to project your insecurities on basketball players uh, or other people. But as a child, when you feel alone, it's like one place where I had that. So Go fast break. It's a pun on fasting <laughs> and breaking your fast. Uh, and it only kind of references the first verse. Okay, fast break. Hakeem Olajuwon waited until sunset to break in the Knicks. The year after he waited through longer summer days to shake Shaq. All of that with the same pit from the same date under his tongue. It was at nighttime when Larry Johnson took a swing at the heat. He had to make sure that it wasn't the devil that overcame him. Sharif Abdul Rahim stacked up his meals like a totem pole. Still, he made sure to eat his losses later in the evening. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar preferred faith over fame. In faith, he forgot his college trophies somewhere in the Lord's 100 names. Edo performed magic. He turned the king into a sap. His trick was to drink Gatorade only after the game. A tyrant split Enos Cantor from his childhood. It was in silence where he found his way back home. During the national anthem, Mahmoud Abdul 
Rauf disappeared. He was the only one who believed the truth, that there is no God but God, and basketball is his favorite sport. Thank you, Zan. You're welcome. It's such a, it's such an intriguing poem and just this focus on these individual players. I think that, you know, basketball we see often, even though it's a team sport, we do focus on the individual, but not in the same way as having the specific lens that, that you're presenting us of, of where you came from and, and all of that and, and presenting these players in a group to us. Yeah, um, it was, I don't, I, I, the only true Ramadan basketball story that's stuff of legend is definitely Hakeem Olajuwon winning the NBA championship while fasting or playing in the playoffs while fasting. The others I just imagined, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like it's, uh, it's a funny thing because it's like the, um, I don't know, um, just like kind of balancing, like seeing my faith through like their game and stuff of the sort. And I don't know, taking some things of them it was um yeah it's it's wild it's wild because um i remember like growing up uh with the lakers and kings rivalry and like uh uh he did uh who played for the kings at the time which obviously was the enemy team when i was watching the lakers play uh and hearing people like say bad things about him and i like took that personally because i knew like he was also like pretty open about his faith and not that I was, I'm not even like the most religious person, but like, it just, uh, <laughs> it just like, uh, I don't know. There's this connection that you have to the, to the player when you feel like there's only one thing that you, there's like such little that you feel connected with the rest of like America at some point uh, to like kind of see that uh, the little, and that's where I, I started like thinking, oh, I don't want to be a, like a basketball fan that like hates on players for just because they play for the other team. Uh, and I don't know, it was cool kind of exploring that through a, a spiritual lens, at least. Because it's something I, it's also, I'd never written the basketball poem before, but definitely didn't write poems about Islam either. Yeah. And I didn't know, oh, I was just gonna say, I didn't know that Hakima Lajwan was fasting during that championship. Oh, to be honest with you, uh, as Courtney said with the guzzles, I would love it if someone could fact check that for me. But growing up, that's what all of us said in the masjid. <laughs> I feel like if it's said enough, I mean, I, I, that yeah. it's such a good story. Let's not ruin it by Googling it. I mean, it's, it's beyond a good story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've heard the same story. So just, just putting that out there. So I, you know, love the dream. Props to Hakeem. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. I like, sometimes I'm just like, am I making, is this just something I'm telling myself? <laughs> like, what is this? But yeah, no, that's, that's the case. Like he fasted, you know, uh, he was fasting when he won the champ, at least I, I think both championships because like in those days in the nineties, Ramadan, like because of the way the calendar goes, it, it ended up in June and it's just, oh my gosh, it's already so hard to fast. And like, that was like my, it, it was also like my motivation when I was younger and trying to fast because like, it's not like pleasant, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and like uh, at times before, other than like asking for like uh, some like supernatural like uh, uh, solace, I would just be like, man, Hakeem Olajuwon, if he could win championships, like, I know I'm not Hakeem Olajuwon, but the least I could do is just like make it through middle school. <laughs> yeah, middle school without- yeah. Caroline, without, sorry, like, what were you, you going to say? Losing my cool, but yeah. 
I just love in that first stanza, the lines, all of that with the same pit from the same date under his tongue. I just, I love that line so much. Um, just wanted to tell oh, you, that's it. Thanks. I just think it's really, really like, thanks. it's like a beautiful, like zooming in moment, you know? Yeah, if I could be, if I could kind of uh, admit uh, some of the flaws of this poem is after I wrote that line, I was just like, damn it, I can't believe I have to keep writing this poem. It's <laughs> 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 so great. Uh, maybe I should just leave it, but I don't know. I felt like I had to like expand on it. I'm not sure. I haven't. Is this Shake Shack line, is that supposed to be a pun as it well? It wasn't originally, but it is now. <laughs> Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's sometimes I just it, it happens. I'm just like, oh yeah, I guess I'll keep I'll keep it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm hungry while I'm writing this poem. I I also love that line that Caroline mentioned too, because it just feels like um sort of the memory of basketball, like carrying basketball history over from one year to yeah. the next. Um and you know, I think that we've seen kind of well, I don't know if we've actually seen this, but I wish we would see it like an, an, the NBA kind of reconciling with its own history around some of the issues we've been seeing lately that have to do directly with Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf um, and how, you know, I always think about like what would have happened if Colin Kaepernick had been a player in the NBA who decided to kneel in 2016, like, you know, on the other side yeah. of that situation, it's much easier to uh, like, you know, an NBA call. NBA players calling for the league to be more proactive instead of reactive to to the the issues that we have. Yeah, the, the, the Mahmoud Abdurouf story is, I think, to me and I think to a lot of people, like endlessly fascinating because um, it's it's a real shame, you know. Like um, it's a real shame, and it's it's kind of unfortunate because a lot of times basketball fans do like to like talk about, oh, you know basketball is like and it is definitely like I mean everything is more progressive than the NFL it doesn't take work <laughs> but like uh, uh but you know it just shows you that like uh a lot of like bringing attention to uh injustice and like trying to like suggest social reform especially in a forum that it, where it's like not necessarily expected is is such a it's a it's a huge sacrifice you know and he literally like he was a talented player. Like he could have played another 10 years or like, I don't know, Courtney could probably answer this better than me, but like maybe like five to 10 years. Uh, and like, you know, it's, and it's, it's wild because like Kaepernick's story isn't new, but it's just wild to just see it like playing out the way it is again in a different sport, you know? And yeah, I think with the Kaepernick narrative, a lot of people, the, the, the thing is maybe if he played basketball, if he was a basketball athlete, it may have been different, but then it, same, same thing happened in the NBA, you know, like the same thing happened and it happened earlier and it wasn't, I, I don't remember it being as much as, I mean, obviously I was really young and uh, when it happened, but um, I don't remember it being so much of a national conversation as Kaepernick's was. Not that it's a competition, but it's just, it's wild how, uh, it's like a good, uh, for me, it's a good metric of like how much, like uh, as an American society, our relationship has changed to like protest um, and how little has changed at the same time, you know? Yeah. 
No, the thing with, by the way, the Hakeem line uh, with the pit, it's actually, I also took that from, um, it's uh, it's actually like Christian um, hagiographies about saints uh, who used to suck on stones to meditate. So that's where that comes from, by the way. I don't think he actually did that. <laughs> Thanks for clearing yeah. that up. <laughs> Just in case people are saying, <laughs> No, it was the, the symbolism is quite stunning still. <laughs> I mean, the... <laughs> Courtney, did you have something? Well, um, <clears throat> well, I guess all I wanted to say was that one of the things that I really appreciate about the poem, right, is this um, this very like unique lens, right, that it that it gives to the history of the game and and thinking about the presence of um, players of you know of, of Muslim faith like in the league, and it's one of those things uh, that is I think really cool because you realize how far hard how far back it stretches within the league history, right? Whereas most people would probably think of it more so as like a product of like the international expansion of the game. But I think it, it calls into us questioning like, what are our preconceptions about Islam in America to begin with, right? You know what I mean? It's like, um, you know, you might think of like Enos Cantor or Hito who are more recent, but, you know, even saying his name, Kareem, he's a, he's a, he's a, a you know, a mono name in, in, in the culture at this point, right? But no one ever thinks about his faith. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it was a huge deal when he converted. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, and, and you know, he's not the only one, of course, like, you know, the, there, there's several others mentioned in the poems that lead up to the, 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 the present day. But I, I really appreciate it from that perspective uh, in particular, just because it really does like challenge my understanding of the history of the game and like brings and makes it something uh, for an audience different for myself, something that they can attach to and have deep attachment to. And I appreciate that as well. Uh, and to be honest with you, basketball also kind of gave me this space to understand the ideas, like the a little bit more of the history of Islam in America. I mean, Really, Kareem and Muhammad and Muhammad Ali were the were the first two. I mean, those were my uh, Muhammad Ali was an obsession of mine when when I was a kid, mainly because he was Muslim. I could kind of see myself in him because I was just really good at fighting and really hilarious. I think, just kidding. But uh, <laughs> but um, we share the same birthday, so that's actually where it really stems from. But uh, well, yeah, like it was something that like it it really kind of sparked this interest in me of like, oh wow, there's this like this isn't like a fluke, you know, like I felt, I always felt like my, my existence in America is a little bit of a, of a fluke. Uh, I think that's like a lot of immigrants perhaps sometimes feel this way, but like understanding that there is a history behind it and there is a culture uh, and there is, you know, other people have felt similarly or other people have approached faith very similarly. It's very comforting to me. And like, again, like that's the beauty of sports and like basketball in particular, right? Like I was able to like find that bridge and someone like Kareem and learn more about, you know, uh, you know, through Kareem and uh, Muhammad Ali, like, that's where I, I mean, that's how I discovered, like, some of my, like, political, uh, uh, some of, like, my uh, political ideas, like, stem from that, from, like, learning about those guys and reading Malcolm X and stuff of the sort, but, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's fascinating, like, you know, when they say, like, basketball is bigger than a game, like, I, I feel like I genuinely had that experience because like for moving into America, everything being so new, basketball was something I attached myself to. And then it helped me kind of explore like 20th century or like what it's like being a person of color in the 20th century and learning about what it's like being black in the 20th century or especially specifically like a black man in the 20th century. 
um, and finding parallels between like some of the struggles I was having uh, as an immigrant uh, and feeling like an outsider and what in all the I moved around quite a bit in all these different cities and yeah it's uh you know it's that's uh, yeah Kareem's story was very very big for me. Yes, and I think that this tension between acknowledging like how like it's bigger than basketball and also realizing like how for me I like there's so much to get out of it. Like basketball is so big. Like there's so many ways to go through it and to find things from it. Like it's this constant acknowledgement of both. Yeah. It's wild. You know basketball for me it's 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 like it's so much of a team sport but it's also like one of the few team sports where like the individual <laughs> shines a bit more and i think this is like the kind of like the stories of michael jordan and players like kareem or lebron and stuff you kind of feel like i don't know the players just seem for me they've always seemed a lot more relatable as opposed to like i could like with baseball and football when i tried to get into it and this was the same thing i didn't have like relationship like I, I don't think it's a coincidence that when I watched mm -hmm. cricket, I didn't really have like a favorite player. I didn't attach myself to an athlete, but it was something that immediately happened with basketball. You know, like I watched Lord, uh, Larry Johnson play and I was just like super like into his game and his personality. Um, and that, you know, uh, and it's not, I don't want to like say it's good to like, quote unquote, like worship athletes or something, but there's something really cool about how relatable the players in basketball are. And I think that's where for me, like a lot of like, uh, what makes like engaging with basketball a bit more creative than engaging with like there's a human element to it that's a bit more creative for me and it I, I don't know it's cool yeah that's great I, I wanted to mention that I'm wearing my Mahmoud Abdul Rauf jersey which I always try and wear on zoom calls right now so this oh. is my my three-headed monster because I couldn't get the I looked for a Nuggets one but it's been out of out of production so I'm I always put it on when I have to, when I record pods, when people can see me, it's like my uniform. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so cool. Wow, where'd you, he, he, I didn't even realize you played for the big, man, the big three. That's, I've got to really get into Yeah, I have to say more. this is a child size. That's the only one I could find. And like, every time I put it on or take it off, I'm like risking breaking my nose, like practically because of how much pressure. So it's not the cutest. Um, I really have to adjust it. It's really, uh, but yeah, I, um, I definitely, felt like, yeah, I wanted to have his jersey one way or another. <laughs> awesome. Well, I know it's game night, and I'm hoping this isn't the last game night we have of the season, really pulling for the heat. Um, absolutely want to see a, a wonderful game um, for both teams. So I want to thank you guys for making time on a Friday night, Friday afternoon for some of us, but Friday night for, for two of you. And um, I can't think of a better way to spend time in like during the pandemic than to get to hear poems read to me over Zoom and then get to go watch basketball. <laughs> so this is just a real gift. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so yeah, enjoy your night, enjoy your weekend, uh, stay safe. Let's, you know, get through the next few weeks uh, and maybe, um, Things will get better eventually. <laughs> Good. Well, take <laughs> care, so everybody. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So nice to meet Bye, all everyone. of you. Bye. 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 Bye.